Kenai. We are back today at the Kenai Public Library uh, recording another recovery story that we're super excited about. Uh, we have Ben with us today. Um, yeah, so we're just gonna dive right in, man. So, uh, how are you doing today? First of all, I guess since we're here, <laughs> very good, very good. good. Yeah, right. we just had some technical difficulties, so we just uh, we had a good long conversation that we hope we can kind of do again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, thanks for thanks for having me, guys. Um, yeah, my name is Ben Laviger. Um, I am 43 years old. I grew up here on the Kenai Peninsula um, in Nikiski and. Graduated from Nikiski High School in 1996, and uh, yeah, it uh, was interesting being a North Roader. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, yeah, after high school, I just sort of realized that I needed to ex- explore a little bit more of the of the world and get out of here. So I took off, um, ended up moving to Colorado, and was there for the next like 13 years mm-hmm. and you know just like any any young kid was just exploring exploring possibilities and you know just working having fun relationships falling in and out of love mm-hmm. you know finding finding new things to do with myself um but you know for me that that all involved drugs and alcohol mm-hmm. you know through that through that time period um, didn't start then. I, I battled with that throughout high school too. But uh, you know, the the older I got, and a little as time went on, it you know the drugs and alcohol started started to pick up, and you know I've definitely got that like addictive personality, mm-hmm. and you know eventually I ended up finding myself in in prison mm-hmm. and uh, for the second time and this was in 2006 so was it February February 2nd February 3rd of 2006 is what I call my sober date yeah cool. um, mm. my birthday is February 2nd and I think I ended up starting starting my four-year prison sentence and my uh, my road to recovery uh, the day after my birthday, nice. 2006. So, awesome. yeah, but uh, yeah, there I was, sort of uh, in this strange land of like, you know, state prison, and what am I doing here? Like, I just wanted to get out, like, get me the hell out of this place. I just want to go get high again, you know, and yeah. I had. Uh, pissed off at the world, pissed off at myself, and just, like, realized that there was nowhere to go. Um, and, uh, kind of what you brought up earlier was that you had a, a sense that you didn't belong there, unlike other people. Other yeah, people. yeah, like, you know. being there, but... I mean, I was... I was definitely not, like not clicking with anybody in that sort of atmosphere, you know, I mean, you know, I definitely felt like I wasn't liking these people, you know, a lot of, a lot of the people that were, that were there were either long-term, you know, and were like, I mean, there were some bad dudes in there. There were some, there were some people who definitely belonged in there, 
Um, but there were also people that likely didn't and needed mm -hmm. a second chance. But yeah, I mean, it was, you know, it's a whole, it's a whole different world and I had to navigate myself through it. And, yeah. you know, I came to the realization that this is where I was going to be for a while. Um, and I really needed to wake the heck up and realize that like I was here for a reason Mm -hmm. You know, the choices that I had made it had got me, had got me there. And I really want to touch on this uh, topic that it's interesting that you say that it was kind of a waking up moment, mm -hmm. which is ideally in society what we hope that prison would be, would be a waking up moment where you're like, wait, this isn't what I want to do with my life. But then, as we were talking about earlier before technical difficulties, that follows you anyways. Like, sure, you had this turning point where you decide you know, hey, I don't want to be this person anymore. But then you get this label where society's like, hey, you're this person forever now. Mm -hmm. Like, wait, didn't, I, didn't you want me to go to prison so that I would change? Like, I thought that was the point. And yet, yeah, it's kind of like a change. double edged sword that kind of can get you from both sides, you know, because there are like, there, there are some people who go through the system and do get that moment of clarity, you know, and then like some of the people that Ben touched on that were like touched on earlier that were kind of in the cycle of like, Absolutely. you know, I go in, it's kind of just what I do, man. I go in. I'm That's okay how they for get clean, right? That's how a lot of these people would. They they'd be locked up for a year, or, mm -hmm. you know, a couple of years, and like they just sort of ride, you know, ride the train, you know, yeah. and then they then they get out and they go right back to the same cycle again, come back in, and then they're clean and yeah. they get back out, and it's it's just a revolving door for them. And yeah. you know, when when people are released and they're sort of just kicked back out yeah and there's not much there for these people to really you know utilize a lot of support because of, we were just talking about earlier about the the stigma that comes mm -hmm. with it you know mm -hmm. after after you're released from prison you know they're you're sort of looked down upon by yeah. you know a lot of a lot of society and you just you have this feeling of like am i am i as good as anybody else anymore mm -hmm. you know like mm -hmm. and you know, unfortunately, there isn't a lot of, you know, immediate resources for people after, you know, yeah. after experiencing things like that. But for me, like, I didn't really, like, need that as much because I started, like, the turning point and the recovery process while I was in there. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean, like, I really looked within and I really had to like find like the true resource for myself was like what power I had within me to really make the changes that needed to mm -hmm. be made like yeah you know I went to classes and things like that and I learned how to like identify certain things mm -hmm. you know but I'm still like boxed in this fence right like yeah. I had no other choices mm -hmm. you know and there weren't things being thrown at me all the time life and yeah. you know everything else it kind of got some space to you know to really kind of reflect and think about which most of, people don't do when they're in there they just yeah. like you know they want to they want to be accepted which mm -hmm. is what they weren't on the outside they weren't mm -hmm. really they didn't feel accepted by their mm -hmm. family their you know by society yeah. things like that so they or the groups they were accepted by kind of or kind of these groups that center around behaviors that are going to get you back in, Absolutely. you know, so that when you go out, it's kind of that revolving door idea that you go out, there's no like, 
oh, hey, man, and by the way, you probably shouldn't go back to exactly where you go, you know, like, or, I mean, you're either you go back to exactly where you go or you're going to be homeless. So, I mean, like, and then you, people, I think, can come out with, like, these great ideas. They're like, oh, yeah, dude, like, and with great intention. I think that's one thing that people don't really understand about people who go through the revolving door process is that, like, they're not just, like, oh, I'm going to go back to jail because it's awesome and I love it. Like, no, dude, prison sucks. Like, that's not like does, a super the, awesome you'd thing. You'd be surprised you know? about the people that aren't afraid to go back. Yeah, and I think you just get so, like, your culture is so habituated to it that you're like... Me, I was, af- I was afraid deal. to go back. Not yeah. because of, like, I was afraid of what was in there. It was just I was afraid of, like the cycle that I would remain in if that mm-hmm. was the case, you know? And yeah. like, I, I just realized that that is not the life that I wanted to live. Yeah. Do you think there's any specific thing or maybe something someone said to you or anything that sparked that kind of self introspection? Cause it sounds like you didn't have a lot of that before this moment, but some, some point it hit you where you kind of got this sense of identity of what you want to be versus what you don't want to be. Um, it was just a long process. It was it was actually a long process, you know, mm-hmm. because like I literally had to become clean and sober in there. Like I went straight from like being on drugs to being in prison and it was mm-hmm. this long transition and like I I there were times where like I actually kind of seeked that out. Yeah. Sought it out, I guess whatever. Sought it out while mm-hmm. I was in there. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and but like not heavily and I battled with like I knew that like these things you know, like I wanted to go back to that life just because, you know, that was what I was comfortable with. But I'm honestly there. I can't look back on this moment of clarity. It was just like this, you know, transition period that I had to go through. And like, I'd always, I'd always known that like living a life of like being an addict was not where I wanted to be. And I always had known that I would eventually like, find a way to stop. I just didn't know whether that would be, whether someone would rob and stab me or mm-hmm. whether, you know, I would be drinking and driving and kill myself that way or someone right. else or whether I'd be, you know, mm-hmm. locked up for drug possession, you know, because all of those things I came very close to, to doing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I guess just once I was able to remain drug free for a certain period of time and then just finally see the situation that I was in and for what it was Mm -hmm. like then like the real Ben could start like resurfacing again and being like okay here you are like now you're feeling like the the whole human being like you've always been but you've been just burying with these drugs and alcohol and then i could like really see the situation i was and and just not being around that lifestyle anymore like finally just gave me the the path to like that i really always wanted to go on Mm -hmm. and remove myself from the path that i was you know and so you know to to say there was like one clarifying moment no there wasn't it mm-hmm. was you know i think that's good for our listeners to hear because i mean as much as we've said it before there's still that feeling like it's just going to change all of a sudden things are just going to be different and like you'll never be the same and man you're just going to hit that road that you've always wanted to go on yeah i mean because i'd like you know people talk about rock bottom like i had hit my rock bottom and yeah. that's that's what got me to where I was, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but I still had to transition from like 
the anger and the resentment and all these feelings and emotions and like get the drugs out of my system and that takes time mm -hmm. you know yeah. and like being locked up is I mean I, I, I hate to say it but you know it's it's, it's what worked for me yeah you know yeah, yeah. Definitely. and just I, I just had had to be my sobriety had to be forced on me in that in that sense mm -hmm. and uh, and so yeah, just as time went on, I, I, I realized that I, it was up to me to remain on this path. And so while I was in there, you know, I just, I, I, I sought out the people who I resonated with the most. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those were, you know, people that had been in for a while and were also like realized like, you know, this isn't the, the life that I really wanted for myself. And, you know, they... They were just their real selves, even though they were they were in prison. And I I found a program while I was in there, which is um, a dog training program. Oh, cool. Um, which being involved with that was probably what got me through my three years of, of being locked up. And just mm -hmm. the um, the people that were involved with that one were just like genuine human beings, and yeah. you know. They you probably that. hadn't been around a ton of genuine humans. I hadn't in there, yeah, but like you know, finding this group, you know, like they, you know, they had kind of removed themselves from all the other sort of, you know, chaos and, and things that you could imagine would go on in prison and, you know, mm -hmm. kind of kept themselves involved with that and realized that it was, it was a, you know, a healthy path and it, I really dove into it and, and, uh, that's what kept me focused on like it gave me something to like care about while I was mm -hmm. in there it was like there's this other being there with me that I'm responsible for you mm -hmm. know yeah. and like I have to get up early every morning to make sure that this this you know this animal's fed and that I'm like taking care of it but at the same time it's like I'm being responsible for myself and having to like take notes on all like how this animal's progressing we would train it and mm -hmm. you know I got involved with like actually training service animals for for you know disabled individuals and oh, cool. you know people that literally needed an animal to help them like dress and undress and, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah. it was, there's some real purpose in that there was yeah, yeah there was absolutely probably important purpose there for sure and so like that really carried me through that whole time and you know i i had sort of an on and off relationship with my parents you know throughout my my 20s and stuff and i always just kind of told them oh yeah everything's good in my life you know i never really let them in mm -hmm. to what was you know truly going on internally with me and so like i really I, I wanted that back in my life was a relationship with my parents so like that's also one thing that like, kept me going was like, get out and get back, you know, into you know, learning about what it's like to have a relationship with them again. And, and uh, so as, as my time got closer to being released, you know, I, I started talking to them more and, and my dad ended up um, coming down to Colorado and he met me at the gate there and he actually moved. So he moved there for like two months and oh, got wow. us an got us an apartment and like helped me transition my case from Colorado back to Alaska. And it took a while and I had to like hold a job there for a little bit, but 
Mm-hmm. You know, my dad has always always been there to like support me through things like that in my life, and he he never right. never judged me for any of that stuff, and never you know looked down on me. Um, but you know, my my dad was always an alcoholic, mm-hmm. but like I never looked at him like that. He was just like a perfectly functioning one, right? You yeah, know, yeah. Um, but it was more just like a more like a friend to me than. Yeah you know, anything, and it was, it was my, the relationship with my mom that I always really struggled with, right. that was never, never super close with, I always thought she just was trying to control me, mm-hmm. and, um, so, like, that was what I was really wanting to seek out, was, like, more relationship with my mom, once, you know, I'd, I had had three years of being sober, being in prison. Um, yeah, so you got your first three years uh, while you were. I got my first three yeah. years while I was in prison. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah and yeah. I think that honestly, even just that time, because like that's what it was for me. Out, it was, yeah, it was just the time. I mean, I, I, it's not not to say that like I had all the you know I had plenty of chances to you know to do things while I was in there, but mm-hmm. um, you know because that stuff certainly certainly prevalent in there right well, it but seems it, it seems like it's just time but listening to your story it's funny how i can draw some really close associations with stuff that we see in regular recovery mm-hmm. like going and seeking out those people that resonated with you that had mm-hmm. similar goals yeah that was like having a mentor like you sought out yeah. mentors and like taking care of an animal yeah. or... there was one one individual in there that i you know, as you say, a mentor, he, he literally was a mentor to me and became like my best friend. You know, we were soulmates for a while and like, I just really looked up to him and he, he had like a 43 year sentence. Right. Mm -hmm. And he was like, he really wasn't ever getting out, but he realized that that was where his life was. And so that is how, why he got involved with this dog program Mm -hmm. and just like dove into that and, you know, and, took charge of it and just made it his life and wanted to like give back to people by training these service animals and giving, you know, giving something back to society, even, you know, that's another like tenant we see in recovery quite often is like generosity and giving back and like, uh, service care of something. Yeah. Yeah. Usually they start with a plant. You jump right into dogs, which is cool. Yeah. and (laughs) Yeah. And really like that's, that's how it was to me is realizing like I can just, utilize the time that I am spending here in this place and giving all of my love and my gratitude and all these things that like I had never really realized was like within me but like here it is now like now that I'm like clean and sober and like I can just feel all these feelings that like I had been burying inside of me for years and years you know mm-hmm. and like I can give it to this animal and create like help create this you know this tool that someone can take and help them in their lives and make their lives much more full and better, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, someone who really needs it. And it's like, yeah, being able to give back like that was, was amazing. I mean, we had people that would come in in wheelchairs that like could hardly do much for themselves at all. Mm -hmm. But yet I just spent like, six months training this dog to like make this person's life better mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yeah. like in tears man yeah yeah like it made me it made me feel wonderful 
but it also made me feel sad that like now I'm like mm-hmm. oh here I got I have to release this feeling you know I have to release mm-hmm. this animal back to this you know to this person but it was it was still gratitude I guess was like yeah big know, time was was a, a big feeling like I'm just really grateful that I could do something for someone else when mm-hmm. you know I had I'd been what felt like I was just taking from every all those around me, hurting mm-hmm. hurting people, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, like damaging my you know my 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 parents and my family, and you know, just the relationships that I had, and but now I could sort of give back with something like that, and mm-hmm. that's a. Well, and that goes along with even even wanting to talk to your parents, and especially your mom afterwards goes along with the idea of of making a, a moral inventory list and seeing what's gone on in your life and then trying to make amends where you can yeah. with those people. Like that's something that is, you know, goes with people go through the recovery process. They usually go through, but you kind of sounds like you found that on your own or at least I, kind of understanding. Of yeah. It. Yeah. I, I really did. You know, and like I was like determined by the time I got, like release that this is like I was never going to come back here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was never going to like make those dishes. Never gonna use again. Never gonna drink again. Like I really had it set in my in my mind, you know? And I yeah, I was clean sober for three years and mm-hmm. you know, before I before I got out, like six months before that I had like really started this like hard re- you know, regimen of like exercising and working out and mm-hmm. you know giving like yourself some structure giving myself some real structure and like started running you know just like around the track inside there like mm-hmm. every day just like like penning out these like plans for myself and just like really like working hard to like you know having this structure in my life and so when I did get released like I actually had like a real a concrete idea and mm-hmm. something to focus on. And so, you know, here's, here's dad. He picks me up at the gate and you know, we go, you know, start the process of, you know, working my way back into, into every, you know, normal life again. And, but, uh, you know, as mentioned earlier, like my dad had always been an alcoholic mm-hmm. and he knew that, living with me now and being on parole like I'm not allowed to be around alcohol or drugs mm-hmm. or anything like that and so I told him that mm-hmm. and you know I told him that and you know he said he accepted it and so here we are living together I had a job and I found a job at this dog kennel and like oh, helping take it you know yeah take cool. care of dogs I'm like cool like you know I found this new path in life you know mm-hmm. whatever so and then you know it's, it's, time's going on and then I one night my dad was like sitting across the table from me and we were, we were playing cards or something. He was like slurring his words and I, like something was going on, something strange. And I'd also noticed, you know, that like my dad would drive me back and forth to work, but he's like, dad, you're like a real shitty driver. Like mm-hmm. what's going on? Yeah. And, uh, he's like slurring his words that night and I thought he's having a stroke. Yeah. That's scary. He's, I thought he was having a stroke. And so I like called my mom on the phone. I'm like, mom, like what's going on with dad? Like, this is, this is what, like what I'm seeing. She's like, ask him if he's been drinking. Mm. So that'd be a hard conversation to have. And I was like, oh. I'm like, and I, I figured I'm like, if he was drinking, I'd know it, you know, I'd be able <laughs> right. to smell it or, you know, like mm-hmm. I got plenty of experience with that. 
And she's like, no, ask him. And he tells me no. Mm-hmm. She's like, all right, well, have him do these certain things and see if he is maybe having a stroke. So I asked him his questions and and finally, like, realized, like, oh, my God, like, Dad's, Dad's drunk. Mm-hmm. You know, it's tough. Like, and, he, and I, I honestly thought that, like, there was something wrong with him, you yeah. know? Like, he really was, like, having a stroke. And I was concerned because I believed, you know, Dad isn't going to, you know, drink around me. You know, he mm-hmm. said he was going to do this. And so she's like, all right, well, tell him you're going to call 911. Oh, because of the stroke. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because he still, at that point, didn't really want to admit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so she's like, hang up the phone and didn't do that. So sure enough, I'm like, Dad, I'm going to call 911 because I think he's like, no, don't do that. Mm-hmm. But I did call 911. Yeah. And then he finally, like, it was too late then. But mm-hmm. so here comes the ambulance, you know, they, they come to the house and they check him out. And, and uh, I end up going in the bedroom and I found a stash of bottle of vodka in there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they took Dad to the hospital and he stayed there overnight. And, you know, of course, my parole officer comes and there's sheriffs there and like yeah. all this stuff is going down, right? Mm-hmm. And the, you know, the EMTs were like talking to him in the, in the ambulance and asking him like, why are you here? Like, you know, mm-hmm. this and that. And so as the night progressed, like all of a sudden dad realized that, yeah, like he is an alcoholic. Dang. Yeah. So, like, not only did I just get released from prison, but, like, now I'm in this space in my life where, like, I'm okay with who I am. Mm-hmm. I know the direction I want to go. Like, and then now, oh, here's dad. He, like, is now finally admitting that, like, his drinking, he, you know, he was, mm-hmm. like, you know, in his, he was 60 years old, man. Like, and he's, yeah. drinking is finally a problem. Mm-hmm. But... He, Here's, you know, him and his son now together. And, like, so now dad has got, like, this realization. But yet I'm finally in this place where now I can support him, you know. Dad had always been there to support me and, like, kind of help me through, like, these tough times. But now here I am. And so now my dad's, like, going through, you know, his recovery process at that point. Mm -hmm. I still am going through mine because here I am on the outside now and, like, trying trying to keep on the path I am and... And uh, we're still living together, and now Dad's going to AA, and he's found himself a sponsor, you know, and, like, super oh. proud of him, and he's, mm-hmm. he's like, on his path, you know, and I was going to, to AA meetings and stuff with him, and we were both doing our thing together for a little bit, you know, and, like, mm-hmm. reconnecting and, mm-hmm. you know, finding this, like, you know, newfound, newfound life together, and... <laughs> Wow, yeah. And, you know, so it was, it was pretty powerful for the two of us, and we, we really bonded, um... For, for quite a while with that and then then the time came to come back to Alaska mm-hmm. and uh, and when we came back home just before that like my dad had told me that my mom was kind of like she, you know there had been a, a year or so there where she wasn't wasn't feeling too well and she was kind of sick and, and it finally came out that well they went and had her, she was diagnosed with um, alcoholic cirrhosis. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And I never knew my mom was an alcoholic at yeah. all. 
remember as a kid, there'd be boxes of wine in the refrigerator, you know, and like things like that, you know, and I'd go like, yeah, yeah. I'd go like pour a little of it myself every once in a while, you know, but I had no idea my mom was an alcoholic at all. Yeah. You know, I didn't even know she hardly drank. Like when I was, when I was locked up, I had like conversations with my mom on the phone and stuff and she would like become like really really emotional and her i would notice her voice and slur and stuff like that every once in a while but i didn't put two and two together and neither yeah. her or my dad told me anything mm-hmm. you know just this like lack of communication and like being honest with each other for years and years just like was was terrible between all That's of us hard. and and uh so move back move back here and you know, my mom was literally had like the doctor said a year left to live and uh yeah it was quite a shock Mm um you know because neither of them really were honest with me about where they were at in their lives and how difficult things were for them and how their drinking was you know, so damaging. Then they always remained married, always remained together. Um, and so, just like seeing my dad, like come to the realization that he you know, finally admits that he's an alcoholic. Here's my mom, like all of a sudden, like yeah, oh, mama's an alcoholic now, and she's like, she's dying because of it. Like, no way am I going to ever drink and do <laughs> yeah. like, no way. Like, yeah. if someone's gonna break this chain, like break this cycle in our family like it's going to be me and you know i had already been sober for three years and so Mm -hmm. i was just like that it you know you asked earlier about this like clarifying moment no there wasn't this clarifying moment it was like this like big picture scenario uh, you know over time that just was like clear to me yeah things started adding up Things started adding, you know, it was like the the signs were there, like Mm -hmm. obviously. Now probably for the first time in a long time being sober enough to see him, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. So luckily I had that three years of being, you know, being locked up to like have that under my belt to get out and then have actually then like be able to utilize what I had learned and be stable enough. And, you know, I I know I'm like, I'm a fairly smart guy. Like, you know, I've, Mm -hmm. I've got got the got the strength within me to do anything I want and mm-hmm. conquer anything yeah um, so I just like I knew that I had it in me to to stay sober um, but you know when I as I said before like I kind of you know I really started exercising and things like that and like it's just kind of like made this plan to like stay healthy, you know, and like not only physically, but like, you know, tried to do it like emotionally too, but yeah. it's easier for me to like stay physically healthy than it is on the emotional aspect. Yeah. I think like what some people might not understand too, is that like sometimes man, that line between your physical health, your mental health and emotional health is like pretty thin, you know, like taking care of your physical health can like do a ton wonders for your for your mental and yeah. emotional health yeah. like uh, like a ton like there's a lot of research like uh, a large body of research that goes into like 
you know, how exercise affects your mood, like post and after, how it helps mm-hmm. you manage stress, like, yeah. in which, like, when we talk to a lot of people, like, a lot of these things, like, you don't, a lot of what keeps resurfacing is that, like, a lot of people don't have healthy coping mechanisms. And, like, what we see on the other side in recovery is a lot of the time is that exercise becomes this healthy coping mechanism that, like, people really use a lot. Like, we have quite a few people who are, like, very active at their gyms, you know, who mm-hmm. get, like, um, into whatever physical activity it might be. But, like, use exercise as, like, this healthy coping mechanism. So you're definitely, like, not alone in that. And I think, like, for people to understand, like, man, like, your physical health is, like, obviously your mental health is extremely important. But, like, taking care of your physical health, like, is going to do wonders for that aspect of your of your life for sure. And on the flip side of the coin, excessive working out is kind of a sign of trauma. Like, yeah. it's a good, it's a way that people deal with stuff that's, like, yeah, I'm glad you... Powerful. I'm glad you touched on that because I, I would say that is like likely why I, you know, continue on with like the types of exercise activities that I do today, you know, and like why I built up to the, the point that I was like even 10 years ago with, you know, my, my physical health and the activities that it, like I, you know, chose to do in order to, mm-hmm. to stay physically healthy, you know, I mean, when my mom was sick and you know she she didn't even last year it was six months later after i moved home she passed away um so i hadn't hardly seen my mom for you know a decade almost and then luckily i got out and had that six months with her Mm -hmm. but uh you know i certainly used running as a coping mechanism yeah um there were other things today too like i would i would exercise like crazy and then i'd just like overeat you know mm, mm. I, i'd i'd go i'd go you know run 10 or 15 miles and then i'd go and like buy a freaking pie at safeway and sit in my truck and like eat it till i was sick you know mm-hmm, yeah. and just like n- not sure how to even like deal with the situation i was in and just like you know just these strange behaviors but like those were the things I chose and they're not the healthiest ones, but you know, like better than others, better than others. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. You know, and you know, when it, after being back in Alaska, I tried seeking out, you know, like people that were, you know, in recovery too. And I, you know, I would, I attended NA meetings, you know, on and off and some AA, but I just, I never resonated with, the people that were there, I never resonated with, like, some of the message I did mm-hmm. resonate with, but um, I guess I just, I never, that wasn't my community. You mentioned right. community yeah. earlier. You didn't feel that sense of belonging. I didn't feel that sense of belonging. and I'd be hard-pressed to think you're the only person that experiences that, for sure. Yeah, it was, I don't know, like, I needed, uh, I needed for myself like a higher vibing energy than mm-hmm. what I felt there um, and, oh, sorry to interrupt but uh, along with that I mean I understand the feeling in the sense of like using working out or using food to try to feel better I mean I have really distinct memories of running and feeling emotional pain and just speeding up until it, my legs just burned yeah. and then you know what I didn't think about it anymore because I couldn't breathe because like because yeah. that was it that was my escape was like just going somewhere else where I, if I just ran hard enough I would stop thinking about the things that were chasing me more or less 
or like food. And I remember, you know, like you said, going to town on, on something because I just wanted to feel good again. Yeah. I just want to feel something that like wasn't grief. That wasn't, and, and I think a lot of people in AA are fighting a battle of, of against the self in a sense, but they aren't necessarily fighting that emotional grieving. Like that's such a difficult thing to get through. Yeah, because no one was placing any of this upon mm-hmm. me. It was all all myself, you know. Right. Society wasn't really doing it. Nobody was. It was it was all me. Um, by like not truly facing some of the, you know, the emotional pain that, that I dealt with because my parents never taught me how to, yeah. like, how to deal with that. They never taught me how to, like, be okay with the feelings that I was feeling. Maybe they weren't either, though. Yeah. I mean, and that was that. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Like, I don't think they were taught that either. So they did the best they could, mm-hmm. you know, with me. But... The best they could was, you know, laughing. Keeping you away still, from those yeah. that they depended on and hoping that you would turn out better on your own. In a sense, that's what it sounds like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, you know, to kind of touch back on, you know, the coping mechanisms and, you know, the the choices that I made in, in my recovery was, was, yeah, you know, it came down to, like, not utilizing a lot of the like traditional methods that um people tend to do you know like Mm -hmm. but yet they find their community in that and it just wasn't for me it was i i found i found it within Mm -hmm. instead of without you know Mm um and yeah running just became my my uh my passion, my desire, my coping mechanism. Um, it became my world, honestly, for a long time. It, mm-hmm. And it's, it uh, was healthy for me. It definitely gave me goals yeah. to shoot for. Um, and it gave me purpose every day to wake up, mm-hmm. go for a run, think about the things that were going to come at me for the day, you know, like, you know, because I, I certainly th- thought about drugs and alcohol a lot, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, especially probably when those even, yeah, I mean, yeah, just because I'd been, tough. I'd been sober for those three years, you know, and even a little, even after that for a while, like it was still, still thoughts, you know, I yeah. still think about it to this day. Mm-hmm. And it's been what fifteen years now. Right. You know, yeah. I still think about it sometimes. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I watch a movie and there's like, you know, drug use going on. You know, mm-hmm. especially when I see like IV usage going on and you know things like that. Like it still like drums up this feeling in me. Yeah. You know, but I I, I have the power to be able to like just accept that feeling and mm-hmm. the emotion that it like brings up in me and then just be able to let it go. Yeah. So you kind of just sit with it? Yeah. Yeah. That's actually sometimes like I, super some, meditative. Sometimes yeah. I, yeah. I do, you know, mm-hmm. um, and this is actually a reoccurring thing. I don't know if like maybe this is for your listeners or not, but like when, when I see or, you know, there's indication of like 
IV drug use, it, like, is going to even just talk about it sometimes, like, like, I find myself looking down at my arm mm-hmm. and, like, remembering what it felt like. Right. Remembering the process mm-hmm. of, like, what I would go through. Mm-hmm. And, like, that, like, that drums up old feelings and emotions in me, but I, I can actually allow that to happen mm-hmm. and, that, but then just, like, let it go, you know? And I don't, yeah. I don't dwell on that or I don't, like... It doesn't take me down this this path of like, you know, what would it be like if I did again? Like, I don't, right. I don't ever really think about that. But mm-hmm. you know, yeah. this many years later, it is still there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's still yeah. there. But I'm I'm okay with those feelings now. Yeah. Wow. That is huge. It's powerful. Man. Being okay with those feelings, like, because if if you have experience in addiction, running away is usually the coping mechanism. Oh, well, I, I, I run away. I run away from a lot of things in my life, you know, <laughs> literally and, and figuratively, you know, <laughs> believe me, I do. And I, I still, I still use my running today to, to cope with a lot of things, whether it be stress in the family, you know, I've got yeah. five kids at home, you know, oh, okay. and you know, like i I quit my job uh, eight years in the oil field last year to, you know, find other pursuits and, and, mm-hmm. and start, you know, start a business with, with my partner. And so there's lots of stresses nowadays that like, that are, you know, that, that I find that I can, I can run from. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's, it's interesting. You, the way you run with them is almost like your way of sitting with them. It's like, okay. I'm going to deal with this, but it's going to be home court advantage. I'm going to do the thing that comes naturally to me, that keeps me calm, that keeps me regulated. Yeah. And then I'm going to address the things that I struggle with. That's way smarter than doing it at 3 a.m. when you're like been up and thinking about it and you're like eating trash food because <laughs> yeah. you know it's late and whatever. And you're like, oh, I better think about what direction my life is headed in now. Yeah. Like, bad idea, bad <laughs> idea. But doing it in you, in your realm, I feel like really takes a fight to home turf. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really am actually I'm interested because I think this is like, this is a really cool concept that I think if people can find ways to learn to practice is super, super helpful in managing stress. Is this like, the way I was thinking about it was I had a, um, one of my friends' dads actually used to say it all the time. And I never really got it, you know, until actually it just really clicked like last summer. And he just goes, you know, and you don't, whenever like, you know, someone was like talking rough about somebody else or saying something, and he's like, hey man, like, he always tells you, he goes, water off the duck's, duck's back, man. Oh he's yeah. Like, water off the duck's back. And I was like, I don't even know what that means, dude. Like, <laughs> I was so confused all the time. But, dude, it is this art of being able to like, you know, feel emotions. Like that balance between like feeling them not dwelling, but like letting them like calm, letting them feel and like just kind of letting them go, you know? And like in a lot of meditation practices, that's like you practice that, you know? Mm-hmm. You practice that like, you know, just like feeling like these sensations through your body, like as you're breathing, like kind of just like, you know, letting, being able to like just practice the like, idea of letting things go, you know? And yeah. I think that's like super important because you don't hang on to like those like small slights, or, like these small stressors or these like, you know, there's these tipping points where like things have like really like the stress is built up. Yeah. Then it's like the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, this tipping point where you just people to, like okay, like panic. You know, or like you react somehow. But like there's a abil- that ability to like kind of you know feel those emotions, let them go, so mm-hmm. that they don't build up and like really put you in a space where you're gonna kind of do things you shouldn't. You know. Yeah. I, I still like have a lot of work to do in that area, but I've. 
try to practice it a lot more these days. Um, like kind of some mindfulness stuff? Or yeah, maybe definitely how like practice? mindfulness stuff. And I sometimes it's like things I don't really want to do, like journaling and stuff like yeah. that. But, you know, like I am getting better with actually learning how to like spend more time with my feelings and my emotions, mm -hmm. which uh, I've always really battled with. Um, and, you know, my partner, she's really helped me with that a lot and helped, you know, teach me to like spend more time in that space because like that's where like our real growth happens, I think. Right. You know, like sure being physically fit and taking care of your body is one thing, but like, like our mental and emotional health is really, really important, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and so, yeah, learning to, learning to like really just be okay with everything from small trigger points to like big situations that are going on in our lives, you know, like learning how to identify patterns that, you know, reoccur through, you know, you know, over time, like mm -hmm. those are, those are things where I'm at today and like really trying to like have, I don't want to say like have more control over, but just like be able to be aware of like awareness, yeah. you know, self-awareness, self-awareness. What are some like, what are some things you do to like kind of help practice some of this stuff? You mentioned journaling, like what are maybe some um, other things? Journaling, which I need to do more of. I, I do, I do periodically. Um, I, I'll pull like, you know, my partner and I were into like, pulling cards and stuff, you know, mm -hmm. you'll see people have like these little decks of like Oracle cards that have like, um, you know, like intentional, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, uh, affirmations, affirmations. Yeah, yeah. Like daily affirmation type stuff. But, mm -hmm. you know, and so like you'll pull a card and for the day it'll be like, one will be sensitivity or the other one will be courage or the other, you know, whatever, you know, and you can go into it with the mindset of like, you can, you know, think about a specific thing for the day or you think about like, you'll ask a question to yourself and then you, then you pull this card and it'll, whatever, whatever is presented to you, then you could be like, all right, well, this is how I'm going about my day right here. And mm -hmm. it just like sets the intention for your day, you know, mm -hmm. and that's really important is being able to like, you know, set your intentions like yeah when i wake up today how do i want today to be yeah you know mm -hmm. and so that's a big one for me is you know learning to set my intentions um pull a card now and then uh and just you know learn to just spend more time with my feelings and my emotions because that's always been a struggle. Yeah. Cause you know, I mean, man, I got five kids at home and they triggered me. So, mm -hmm. you know? yeah, yeah, and yeah. like I, I'm, I'm home with our kids every right. day. Like mm -hmm. we have our kids home from school. We, we school them from home mm -hmm. and you know, my partner, she works from home. I'm pretty much like stay at home dad right now. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of, cool. it's kind of yeah. tough, man, at times, <laughs> you know? And, my coping mechanisms have, you know, been 
running, right? And so, yeah. like, not I, sitting down. Not sitting spot. down and like, you know, having to like face all these stressors and all these things that go on in my life. And, but now, I, now I'm having to do that and, right. and also like deal with everyday life in, in a healthy manner, you know, instead of running from things and being able to address like what's, what's going on with myself because, you know, if, if I'm not aware of how I'm feeling or, you know, patterns that may be arising that cause me to like not communicate properly with mm-hmm. my kids or, mm-hmm. or my partner or us being able to like identify like, Oh, today, like I'm, I'm feeling this way. And you know, that's, that's why I got upset with you earlier, you know, yeah. you know, and learning how to like identify that kind of stuff is really important for like the listeners out there to, to like be aware of is that it's, there's strength in like being okay with our feelings and our emotions. There's huge strength. It's so true. You know, yeah, like people time. think of it as like, oh, you're emotional or you're, you know, soft. you're soft, you're <laughs> yeah, weak, whatever. you know, and then when it's like, I, I used to think like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I think I that's did, a product man. of a lot of culture. I used dude. to think yeah. like that. Especially as like a male in this culture Absolutely. specifically. You know, you're, Absolutely. there's some roles you're pretty expected to fill and like yep. not crying is one of them. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> Being this tough guy is uh-huh. one of them. You know, and like, dude. Some people are going to fit that mold, man, and some people aren't, you know? And, like, in either way, like, it's okay. You and know? that like, is, it's, it's we great. touched on, on this topic of, like, self-empowerment earlier, right? And, mm-hmm. like, you will find that. You will find that empowerment in, like, these feelings and emotions that are, it's rather, because as an addict, we just bury them, man. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. that's what we've always done. Yeah. When we have, like any sort of feeling and emotion that is we're uncomfortable with we yeah. we drink them away yeah or we smoke them away mm-hmm. or what you know we just yeah, however, that go, however, however that whatever your flavor is like yeah. that's what we'll do to like hide from all of these feelings and emotions mm-hmm. and but there's there's power in them yeah absolutely there really is i think modern the the statistics for the technical clinical term I think is lexithymia and it's like difficulty expressing emotions it's like one in ten people now like ten percent just either they're just locked up inside in some way I mean I've been there in the sense of like man I remember a time when you know I think something would be really sad and I feel like man I feel like crying and mm-hmm. it just wouldn't happen and then oh yeah. Like, yeah I resonate okay. with that That's big weird. time like I'll feel it, I feel it like coming up within me, uh-huh. but then all of a sudden something happens and I can just like, I feel it getting pushed back down, you know? It's like, like nope, nope, we can't. And that's, yeah, that's yeah. why it's so important to learn to just like sit with that stuff. And yeah. I still struggle with it a lot, man, yeah. but like yeah. it's, I'm, I'm more aware of it now. And like, it's really like, that's, that's the growth pattern that I'm in at this point in my life yeah. now is like Process. really, really trying to like spend more time with that stuff and, mm-hmm. and be okay with it it's been a long process yeah for sure do you think your parents were pretty protective of their emotions oh yeah 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 all my mom knew was anger because mm-hmm. i was always like what was appropriate basically well that's how she was raised with well, yeah, abuse you... and her you know parents yelling at her and yeah. all you know physical emotional and mental abuse coming from coming at her so mm. you know 
she took all that and get you know yeah, only had only out. had yeah. yeah tried to filter out you know what what would work for her to raise her children yeah and then my dad his was just like keep everything yeah. don't rock the boat mm-hmm. whatsoever you know as long as as long so as everyone seen so now as a parent how do you go about like with your kids trying to teach some of these more healthy like ways to communicate coping mechanisms things like that uh, that you weren't taught as a kid well i'm teaching them by learning myself right? how yeah. to do it you know definitely and exemplifying um, and being an example and it's still I, I still struggle with it you know mm-hmm. but i think over the course of the last year or so we've made like huge strides at home with me mm-hmm. and with the children like we've learned to identify you know, now the kids have been home from school, like we've learned, we've had the time to like spend with them and learn to identify like the things they're struggling with mm-hmm. and where we, if they were gone at school all day long and then coming home and then they're just tired and uh, not wanting to do and then we're tired and right. you know, we're, we don't really have the time or the space to like be able to learn the stuff about our children. But now we do, that we're all home as a family all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's just like learning to hold space for the kids like you know whether they're you know whether they're being upset with something or they're whining or you know complaining Mm -hmm. about stuff like why you know learning to just like not personalize a lot of all the other things that kind of detach a little bit yeah that's just just like like, sitting back and just like allowing it to come into you right like my kids are, you know, upset about something. Why? Like, instead of just thinking, like, I just know about this because today, like, why? And then just, like, being able to sit there with them and try to, like, understand what it is they're feeling because they have feelings too, right? Mm-hmm. You guys have feelings. Maybe there's something, you know, that, like, you're unable to communicate properly together with you guys sometimes and there's some miscommunication it's always like trying to just hold space for people Mm -hmm. you know especially with our kids and like for me personally like just I've always dealt with like getting defensive falling into like these old patterns of like you know personalizing stuff being defensive and then just the being triggered by the feelings that I have that like mm-hmm. in me. And then I just like put up these walls, right. you know, which I think is pretty typical of a lot of people who've dealt with addiction is, you know, we, we have, we have these deep seated, you know, feelings inside of us and the walls go up and in order to like either, put those walls up higher we use Mm -hmm. or to try and like break them down in a sense too like because when I was younger like in order to try and like uh open myself up and be more comfortable with who I was I would drink and I'd party you know and like get more comfortable with who I was but then as Mm -hmm. like time went on then like that I wasn't comfortable with who I was so then I would just use more just to like push down the feelings of I'm not happy with who yeah. I am now. Oh man, that was, awesome. yeah, no, cause I think that happens like an equilibrium, you know, uh, not in equilibrium, I guess, but like in this kind of like roller coaster kind of pattern where like, I don't know, from some experiences we listen to and maybe some personal experience as well, like, you know, that use is like that use to like get out of yourself, you know, like to get out of like that kind of like how I feel about myself normally. Uh, 
kind of happens, then it happens a lot. And then you start to realize that this person that like you're escaping for the person you became while trying to escape isn't that awesome either? Yeah. And so then you have to bury, you know, then you got to bring it back. Totally. And so then you do that for about five years and you bring it back for yeah. about five years. And then like that just guilt and shame, like rotational process. And lack know? of identity. I yeah. Mean, you're fusion. Are you two people? Like, yeah. you got to deal with that internally somehow. Or like this, like it's a little bit of identity. And that's where like while. me being clean and sober for that three years that I was, uh, that I spent in prison, like that's mm-hmm. what, how I was like finally able to realize who like the real Ben is, you right. know, and what Ooh, I really I wanted and the direction yeah. that I want. Cause I, I had that time under my belt, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it was just, it was, it was that much more easier for me to continue on that path. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I think that's one thing we hear a lot about in recovery, you know, and I think that is super important for people who are, you know, kind of on the fence about maybe getting into recovery or just kind of people, if, even if in early recovery in general or kind of in active use still, you know, if like you happen to be listening to this too, is like, man, there, there's some freedom on the other side, you know, like they're like, once you get in and you have like kind of a more clear mind, you know, and you can kind of let your brain, um, kind of repair some of the damage that's been done. You kind of have some time and space to think and like the the capacity to think as well. Like you do have at least a, a stronger chance or you do have the opportunity to really like figure out, first of all, who you really are, what you actually want, and then like the capacity to pursue that. Yeah. You mm. know, and like there is hope, you know, like at the end and like something like Ben and I have talked about in the past has been like this idea of like there was always this inkling of hope like there was going to be like i don't know how it's going to end but like we're going to get there somehow you know like there is always going to be hope and i would say if that's like you or even it's not you know like man there is hope like that's such an important thing i think like just for everyone to know like there is hope whether it's you're a loved one that's going through it or you person that's going through it or you're just struggling with whatever it is right now like man like if you have an inkling of hope, dude, cling. Like, I mean, there's always hope. Like, you can cling to that. And, like, mm-hmm. you do get this opportunity with this new capacity to really find out who you are. And then, like, be who you, like, want to be. And I know that's not always perfect. Like, you know, I'd love no, to be a millionaire. Sick, yeah. And I'm not, you know. <laughs> like, that sounds pretty sick. But, like, dude, a lot better than where I was a few years ago, you know. like, yeah. And I could think Ben would say the same, you know, 13 years ago. Like, you may not be doing every single thing like that you could ever list down ever to be accomplishable, you know, mm-hmm. but man, like even the progress, like it's almost that old saying, you know, shoot for the moon, you'll end up amongst the stars. Like at least you're there, you know, yeah. and not where you were, which was probably not awesome, yeah. you know, but yeah, I digress. That was my, <laughs> that was my thought. Yeah. I do think that that goes in hand. What, what you, we've been talking about, um, one psychiatrist that I listened to said that the worst, the worst thing about using for, at least for people who like struggle with marijuana is the thought that if I do this for a few hours, I'll feel like everyone else does. I'll feel normal. Things are going to be okay. That's the universal experience in, in their head. But like that, that's not what's happening. You're not becoming normal. You're running away from who you are figuring out who you are like that can be painful in its own mm-hmm. but if you don't figure that out there's it's like alice in wonderland with the cat and alice asks hey wait which which path do i go and he's like well where do you want to end up it's like well i don't know he's like well that doesn't matter 
It doesn't matter what path you take if you have no direction, no vision, no idea, which you sounds like you develop. Well, sometimes like we need also need to accept that like if we do just release all of this like need to control mm-hmm. the direction that our life is going to go in and just accept that you know I'm going to say like something I hear somebody else say a lot, like the universe will provide, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. sometimes if we just, if we re- release that control, like everything we want and we desire is out there. It's within reach. Mm-hmm. It's there for us. Mm-hmm. It's, we just need to like stop trying to control so much in our life and just sit back and allow it to happen mm-hmm. and it will happen. You know, yeah. and, and that means like spending time just reflecting on, you know, where we've been, the things we've done, you know, thinking about where we want to go and sitting with ourselves, spending time focusing on, you know, what really empowers us, you know, mm-hmm. what, what gives us like what is good in our life and what isn't and just like evaluating you know where we're at Mm -hmm. and having this like positive mindset that you know no matter what like i'm going to be okay Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know and that goes for like different stages of recovery too you know like for for those that are listening like if like if they're in addiction right now like you will be okay. Like, if you're listening to this now, like, there you go, right there. You're listening. Mm-hmm. And it's a big step. you're already taking that step, mm-hmm. you know? And like, for those that are, like, fresh into recovery, like, like there is, there is that hope. Like, you, you can do it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, like, you you do have to realize that you're gonna have to like release this need for control over so many things and just mm-hmm. like sometimes you have to let people help you. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, you know, because you're you didn't follow a traditional recovery mm-hmm. process, you know, um, and in your own way, and I think this is important for people too, you know, because like the traditional way may not be your way, right? But the paths kind of converge on similar themes at times, you know. It's like the path that runs next to the river. Like, they, I mean, there could be this main stream. Oh, yeah, you know? absolutely. And there's periphery paths. And you there's, know, kind of like, walk along it. Like, you know, I definitely utilize aspects of it all. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I have the serenity, the serenity prayer, prayer? tattooed on my, tattooed on my arm, you know, because <laughs> right. I do, like, I refer to this a lot. And I, I, yeah. I, I there's a lot of aspects and of that aspect of, control, of things that, that I control, do. Yeah. You know, what you can't control. Absolutely. Can, That's why I keep, like, kind of... Touching on that, like we have to release this control in our lives and just like open ourselves to like there's so much can be provided for us, mm-hmm. you know, if we just allow it to be. Yeah. Such a balance. We don't have to do it all ourselves, you know, mm-hmm. like, I mean, I, hopefully you don't have to yeah. do it all yourself, yeah. you know, like, and I mean, in a lot of situations, when, when steps have been taken, you know, especially, I mean, there are, like, I will say there are some, some circumstances where some people may have eroded a lot of their relationships, you know, mm-hmm. um, but even a lot of our stories and even like, kind of like yours, you know, like 
once you take steps in the right direction, you might have to do a little, and you, that's even thing, like, say you do take a more traditional route and you enter a place that like we talk to a lot, you know, like, uh, or Cicada or whatever these like community resources may be. And maybe you don't go that way or maybe it is something like you find yourself in, uh, incarcerated or whatever, like whatever that thing is, you know, like you said, like once you kind of took some steps and you got into your, the, the program where you're training dogs, like, mm-hmm. you know, then you found a mentor there and people that care about you and people that want you to be mm-hmm. successful. Like in all of these, on all of these paths, there are going to be people we're going to be willing to help you once you start taking the steps. You just have to get onto the path. Once you get onto the path, there are gonna be people that help you on the path. Mm-hmm. You just gotta get there. You know, and we have you to allow. Get... We have yeah. to allow it too. You know, mm-hmm. like be open to like the ex, you know people the wanting to help us. Also, yeah. and I think that's something we touched on quite often too. That I think is really important. Like that ability to be vulnerable enough to let oh, people yeah. help us and kind of admit that. I like that, that like, word too, like that, yeah. that whole term of being vulnerable, that goes back to like talking about, you know, being okay with our feelings and our emotions yeah. because mm-hmm. that, right, mm-hmm. that is being vulnerable, right? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and you will find strength, there's strength in that, mm-hmm. you know, once once we find our, allow ourselves to be vulnerable, like that's where we're we're going to find so much that is pro- going to be provided for us. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of growth there. Yeah, because yeah. we you got to drop your walls, man, your defenses in, in order mm-hmm. to be vulnerable, you know, mm-hmm. and that's where a lot of the growth is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, and that hits on so many of these things we talk about a lot, you know, that so many people, I mean, hopefully, I mean, like people that are listening, you know, like if you're listening to this and can kind of resonate with some of this stuff, like, that's like the idea of these stories, right? Is to kind of exemplify the fact that there is hope and that there are people doing these things, you know? Because I'm sure like, when you haven't had a lot of reason to trust people for a long time, like the like vulnerability and trust is kind of hard, you know? Because anytime you're vulnerable, even with yourself, like, or with other people, like, you're opening up to the fact that like, you, there's a possibility that you could get hurt a little bit, either by like yourself, your emotions, or by the people that you're like, a lot of being vulnerable with, you know? Like, it's kind of a gamble at times, you know, but dude, it's worth it. And like a lot of the time, most of the time, in the right space, it's going to pay off, especially on this new path, like with these people that are there to help, like it's going to be okay, you know? And like, it's, it's going to like, when you do decide to kind of open up and be vulnerable and allow people to share in these kind of experiences or these emotions with you, like... Yeah, there may be one or two that like that doesn't go very well. Sure. There's going to be a whole lot more that it does. And you that's know? where you're going to find like real relationships with people, yeah. and like you know, mm-hmm. you're going to find lasting relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to find you know people that are really going to love you for who you are when you can yeah. be like that with them. Yeah, because mm-hmm. if you're not like that, you know what I mean. Like you don't even really ever give people the opportunity to love you yeah. for who you are because they've never really seen who you are. You know. Like, that's something I kind of think about uh, or have thought about for a long time and quite often is like, if you don't, like, if you don't give people the opportunity to love you for who you are, Mm -hmm. you're never going to really be able to identify those relationships, you know, because no one ever really sees it. Like, well, you'll always be thinking, well, you don't really know. So, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Well, yeah, they yeah. don't know you. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Allow them to know you. You know. Exactly. <laughs> like, That's the point. <laughs> to yeah. keep them at an arm's distance mm-hmm. to avoid being vulnerable. And you're gonna have to be vulnerable in order to. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. a good thing, man. Because I think, like, as scary as it can be, and as much of a gamble as it can seem, like, dude, the payouts on the other end are 
a million to one. Like, because you do get some of those true lasting relationships, friendships, mentorships, whatever that looks like. Like, and probably for a lot of people, the first time in a long time, especially you've been in active use for a long time, you get that feeling, you know, like that feeling of like true connection, you know, like genuine connection with like other people. It's like something that a lot of people that we talk to have like have been lacking, you know? Yeah. Which I like, I fully understand, you know, like the community recovery community with NA and AA and, and all that, like, like it's, it can be really, really powerful, you Mm -hmm. know, it really can. And it, it works, you Mm -hmm. know, it really does. But, uh, but you don't necessarily have to be an anonymous group to share your feelings. Yeah, no, you right. certainly don't. It's not the only. You could be right here on the internet sharing your feelings. <laughs> That's true. That's yeah. true for sure. Yeah. No, I think this is all super good. You know, I think some of the main things we really talked about today is this idea, like first of all, this idea of hope and self empowerment. You know, that there is like, no matter where you're at at your stage right now, there is the opportunity for things to get better. And, like, if you uh, allow yourself to take those steps and you do take those steps, uh, whatever that path looks like for you, it's not the same path for everyone. Like, we've kind of been talking about today. That's another main theme. Like, um, it may not be the path that everyone else has taken, but there's a path for you. There's hope for you. And you have power and agency to let people help you and then really become, like, this person you you know you may not even know that you want to be right now, but that, yeah. that's out there for you, you know. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Um, yeah. If, if you had asked me, like, you know, fifteen years ago, if you know I'd be running ultra marathons and you know mm-hmm. going out and doing thirty-five miles one weekend and then fifty miles the next, you know, I'd be like, "You're crazy, dude! I'm gonna go in the bedroom <laughs> <Yeah>. here." And- <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> No, definitely. But, yeah, I mean, like, we can do whatever we want, man. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it isn't it isn't that hard. It's just, like, you just have to want to do it. Mm-hmm. And if you don't like where you're at, then, you know. You're not trapped there. You're not you're, trapped there. The future is not yeah. certain. It hasn't been written. Absolutely. You don't know, you don't know what's out there. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This was you and I, Kikina.